Well, there was this young boy. Now, everybody knows what I normally name my young boys, don't you? Johnny. But I'm going to change today. I'm going to call him Tim today so that Brother Johnny won't be offended. There was this young man named Tim. He lived in Tennessee. He had a girlfriend. Smart young man. His company wanted to send him from Tennessee to Ireland for a two-year assignment. And uh, he talked with his uh, girlfriend, fiance, about it, and they decided it would be a pretty good deal because they could pool their resources while he was gone. He'd make so much money that when they came back, they'd be able to get married. That's another story about when you can afford to get married, okay? But we'll save that for another time. So he was gone a couple of months, and they'd write each other every day, every couple of days. He'd been gone about three months, and she kind of got worried about him, whether he was being faithful to her or not, whether he was getting caught up with some of those Irish gals. And so he said, no, honey. He said, I, you know, I, I am tempted from time to time, but I think of you, and I fight my way through it. And so being a smart gal... She sent him a letter back and said, I'm glad to hear that, but here's your help. She sent him a harmonica. She said, every time that you're tempted, I want you to take this harmonica and I want you to play it and think of me. Mm. So he came back at the end of two years into the airport in New York, flew down to Tennessee, and at the, at the airport was this gal and all her family. And so he ran up. He spoke to them, but he ran up to her and started to hug her. And she said, whoa. She said, before there's any hugging and kissing, let me hear you play that harmonica. You'll, it'll dawn on some of you when you go home, all right? She wanted some evidence that he had been thinking about her. Evidence. Isn't that a good word? Evidence. This morning, I want us to take a look at evidence because the truth is evidence is what is paramount in our system of jurisprudence. You prove someone to be guilty or innocent by evidence. In fact, if it's a criminal case, it has to be beyond a reasonable doubt. If it's a civil case, it has to be by the preponderance of the evidence. If you go look in history, you cannot prove anything in history. Did you realize that? You cannot prove anything in history. The only way you can prove something is to re-enact uh, the, uh, the situation. For instance, if I tell you that water will boil at 212 degrees centigrade, and you say, well, I don't believe it. I said, well, let me prove it. So we go back to our kitchen. We turn on the eye. We put a boil there, put a, temp- put a thermometer in there. When it reaches 212, okay, you with me? But evidence and, those, and the uh, um, introduction of evidence We'll make the case to where we can make the supposition. This morning, I want us to think about evidence in the terms of spiritual renewal. Since the beginning of this year, we've talked about renewal. In fact, in the last two or three months of last year, and then we went through lay renewal, we feel like that we had a renewal. I hope your heart was renewed. But what are some of those evidences of renewal? I think you'll find it in the spirit of the people, the spirit of God's people. And I believe we can find five here in our text today. Now, the truth is, these are not exclusive. 
There are some other evidences. I just listed these out because as I read God's Word, He spoke to me and said these are some things that we need to look at. So let me just share with you the five spirits of renewal. What you see on the screen is on the back of your bulletin. If you want to write them down, take notes. The first spirit that you'll find that's evidence of renewal is the spirit of repentance. Is the spirit of repentance. Now, repentance is a word from days past, fellow. It's a Bible word, but it's a word from days past. Because while we know the word, while we can say the word, while many of us understand the word, we really don't want to talk much about it. And you know why that is? It's very simple. Because we don't want to turn our backs on something we really like. And the pull of this world on our souls and spirits to things that are unsavory is the very reason that teenagers and young people and old people think that real life is found in sin. You see, Satan will wrap it up and make it look pretty, even make it taste good for a while, but it's temporary. You know what it's like? I got to thinking about this. It's kind of like children and candy. Does anybody have a doubt that most kids would grow up eating nothing but M&M and moon pies? Taste sweet in their mouth. Taste sweet to their taste buds, but you don't know happen. Their teeth will rot out and look like mine. They'll get overweight, like me, and it'll cause many problems down the road. You see, that's the way sin is in our life. And repentance is literally taking a diet from sin. It is literally turning your back on those things that you truly really like, or at least you think you like. When we repent, we have to clean things out. I I find this, that to truly repent means you clean it. In verse 16 and following you, we find out that they cleansed the temple, and we found that they um, made sacrifices. We find that They took all the utensils, and they took a period of time, and they cleansed them. Do you know that's repentance? It's allowing the Holy Spirit of God to come in and change your life's direction. Because here's the truth. If you do what you've always done, you'll be what you've always been. And doing what you've always done and expecting different results is I read the other day, I didn't know this. It's always been my definition of, ins- of insanity, but I read it on the, on the Internet, so you know it's got to be true if it's on the Internet, that Einstein said that. Now, you think about that. Me and Einstein thinking just alike. I don't know that that's funny. You see, if we do what we've always done, we'll be what we've always been, and if you do all the things that you've always done, then you know what will happen? You'll get what you've always got. The Bible calls us to repentance, to lay it down, to turn it loose, to turn your back on it. The spirit of repentance. Now, here's what I will say to you. In order to be renewed, you have to repent. But once you get renewed, 
repentance will go on and on and on. In fact, the best picture in the Bible that I know of of repentance is found in Second Chronicles 7:14. He says, if my people call by my name. So listen, you know who repents? It's God's people. A lot of us will talk about, well, if we get out and get those lost folks in here, everything will be okay. Well, that may be right, but nothing happens until God's people decide to repent. It is our responsibility. Renewal does not come until God's people say, you know what, I have a problem. He says, if my people call by my name, now watch this, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. May I say this to each one of us? We will not ever turn from our wicked ways until we humble ourselves and pray and seek God. As long as we're happy the way things are, we'll never repent. When we think we're as good as the next person, we'll never repent. You may be as good as that person sitting beside of you, but you're not as good as that person sitting above you. Repent. The first. The second one I find here, you're going to love me. It is the spirit of giving. It is the spirit of giving. Now, if you read here, you find in verses 20 through about 24 and verses 32 and 33, the enormous amount of giving these folks did when they got renewed. Hezekiah brought them back to a place of renewal. They were renewed, and look at all they gave. Now, in order to kind of break this down for us, because don't think I'm going to skim over it today, because it is a vital part of renewal. I want to talk to you about the giving that's required, the giving that's desired, and the giving that's inspired. First of all, the giving that's required. Now, most of you know where this is going. It is the tithe, the 10%. It's real interesting to me that in recent days people will go, ah, that's an Old Testament mandate. That's not a New Testament mandate. Well, you do not find in the New Testament where it says, thou shalt tithe or give your tithe, but you will find a number of places where it affirms the tithe. And I tell you what, you will not find. You will not find a place in the New Testament where tithing is rescinded. The tenth belongs to the Lord. It's his. Do you know my personal take on why tithing is not mentioned in the New Testament? Because it, they would have had to go back in their, in their commitment, Katie. They were already given, many of them, all they had to the kingdom. Why would they have went back to a 10%? You see, the truth is we don't give anything to God until we return 10%. In fact, if you choose not to return it, You know what God calls you? A robber. A thief. You can look, if you want to check the preacher out, check Malachi 10. Yet you have robbed me, and how have we robbed you, Lord? By not giving the 10% and the other contributions. You see, it's still his. The required. I'll come back and touch on that just in a second. By the way, that required is the faithful. Week in, week out. No big push. No big, uh, no, no big need uh, that's special. It's about 
being faithful to the Lord. It's about obedience. It's about God's blessing. It's about the 10%. You do not give anything until you've returned the 10%. When you don't return the 10%, you've taken God's money and done something else with it. Here's a question for you. If you were to die right now, would you have to go stand before God knowing that you had some of his money in your pocket? Do you have some of his money invested in your golf clubs, in your country club, in your hunting club? Do you have some of his money invested in your guns, in your rod and reels, in your cars, in your boats? You see, it's still his money. We're just stewards. The required. How about the desired? The desired is that which we give. Up and above, we give to specific needs. Jesus had a lot to say about poor people and underprivileged people. Quite honestly, the sad part to me today is that the church has become so weak financially through the unfaithfulness of our people that the government has taken over what the church should be doing. Now, I want to give credit where credit's due. I want to give credit where credit's due. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. When it comes to specific needs, you are the tops. You are the tops. People don't go hungry around here. People don't go without clothes, without gas. You always step to the line in this desired area, and you're to be commended for that. I've said it before. And I'll say it again, maybe one of the most generous churches about special projects that I've ever seen. We can raise a lot of money in a little bit of time. And as far as I know, now if somebody here is sitting on three or four or five million dollars and I don't know it, you just chalk it to my ignorance. As far as I know, there's not a lot of old money in this church. It's just a bunch of God's people willing to give when there's a need, which is the way it's intended to be. So that's the desired, meeting those needs, the required, the 10%. Now, what is the inspired, Brother Jerry? Here's what I'm going to tell you what the inspired is. When God really inspires us and we give from an inspirational, we give of a heart of joy. We return consistently, faithfully, weekly, monthly, whenever we return that 10%. And then when those special needs come up, we are there, Johnny, on the spot. For some of us, and that's the inspired giving to respond to both areas, For some of us in this room, for some of us, that's second nature. And I just, I take care of my responsibilities and I'm going to help somebody else who's less fortunate. I'm going to do that. But for some of us, it's happenstance or hit or miss. I'm about to get real personal with us. I'm going to take this congregation... I don't take you back to an October, to an October business meeting, which was the end of our third quarter, at which we passed out a financial report that told you that we really had missed the mark financially. We were struggling. We never try to hide it when we're when we're struggling. We're in this thing together. Preacher don't spend all the money. I may have more responsibility. Brother Bill and I try to look over and try to do the best we can with God's money. 
And we have the finance team meeting regularly now, so we're trying to do that. But that's where financial report was bad. I want you to hear what happened. In November, to compare apples to apples, in November, the first four Sundays of November, we took up $36,000. Now, we need thirty-eight to make budget, but we took $36,000. The first four Sundays of December, we took up $31,000. I don't know about you, but most businesses don't like that kind of increase. From 36 to 31. Did everybody pick that up? That was a decrease. So we go from 36 in November to 31 in December to January, first four Sundays. $26,000. Now, I do know we're in a bad economy. I do know that people lose their jobs. But as far as I know, the people that I know that have lost their jobs, that have gotten reemployed and probably are not making the same amount of money, did not happen in that third quarter. And what I want to say to us, is that, is that it seems, it would seem that some of us are investing God's money someplace else. That's what it would seem. Now, when I start talking about money, I get two reactions. See, I can already tell it's kind of getting a little tense in here. You're talking about things we don't want you to talk about, preacher. On the one side... I have those people that say, Brother Jerry, you can talk about money every week. I don't care because that's not a place that the Lord's got a, the, where the Satan's got a handle on me. I can I give, and I give regularly, and I give right. You just talk about it all the time, and if they're here, you'll get them. And then on the other side, there's always one or two going, Brother Jerry, you know, every time I come to church, all you do is talk about money. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you fair warning today. If you walk out the door and you say that today, here's what I'm going to tell you. Well, I can tell you have not been here since the spring of 2007. So if that's the way you feel every time you come to church, you hear about money, I hope God speaks to your heart and you become a little more faithful in your attendance first. But you know what the truth is, folks? In our modern day consumeristic society we almost take giving to the lord and his church like we do a restaurant we go out tonight we go out to eat take our family we've got four or five if robert was here i'd say or 19 well you go out your four or five got them around the table everybody gets their food and they eat and and they're just having a great time together. And all of a sudden, the server comes up. And you know what she's got, she or he's got in her hand? Sir, would you like your ticket now? You know what? Would you sit there and go, you know what? We have had such a good time. The food was pretty good. The service was really good. But you have just ruined my night talking, giving me this ticket. You have just ruined the night. You go, well, you'd never do that. Isn't that what we do? In God's house. I got one better than that. I got one better than that. You're sitting around the table and she brings that ticket to you and you look at all the food and you know that it was good, it should be paid for, and you go, look, do you see Terry and June DeFore over there? He got plenty of money. Would you get him to buy our meal tonight? You know, when we don't respond like we should to the Lord financially, that's what we do. We let somebody else pay it. We come in and we want the, oh, that parking lot, that parking lot needs to be repaved. We have carpet 
that needs to be replaced. We have many things that the finance team talked about the other night that we need to do in our church building. We know it. And now we're, call, we're going to call on George and Larry and that team to put together a package to give to us. But here's what I'm going to tell you. We'll have to do something special because the Lord's tithes, the Lord's gifts have gone so low. And I don't believe it's God's way. In fact, let me tell you this old story. I know time's getting away from us, but I believe these, this is important for us. It was years ago. You've already heard this probably. Brother Terry's probably told it a dozen times. Because he uses the same thing. Oh, don't you do that, brother? No, I'm just kidding. It was years ago in an old mill town. Everybody brought their uh, uh, their grain to Jim's house, uh, to Jim's mill to be milled. And they all went to the same church, and the church was bankrupt. Jim was a good businessman. They said, Jim, would you be the treasurer of our church? And he said, I'll be the treasurer of your church, of our church, under one condition. And they said, what's that? He said, I don't have to give a report for the first year. Twelve months. Well, you know, I, one of the things that I'm blessed with around here, we're blessed around here, is that we have very few people that really even want to get tied up in the business. Want to be informed, but not really tied up. But, you know, that's not the norm for Baptist churches. They want, they want to have business meeting every month. And, Brother Terry, I've been to a couple of those places. They'd like to have it every week if we'd have let them have it, Okay. And they said, okay, anything, Jim, if you'll take it. He took it. So at the end of the first year, nobody was looking forward to this report. And they came in. They said, Brother Jim, will you give us a report? He said, well, yeah. He said, first of all, all the bills are paid, and there was a gasp. Second of all, uh, we probably have have no needs now. And third of all, we have about $257,000 in the bank. And they go, we were just making ends meet. How have we done that? He said, well, here's what's happened, guys. He said, all of you bring your grain to me. And said, every time you brought your grain to me, I took out God's part. Said, you never missed it, and it got where it belonged. And this is what happens when God's people gets together. Have you ever thought about the resources that this congregation could have to do the Lord's work if everybody got on board? Not abandoning special ministries, but got on board with the program God's put in place. His tithes. We don't give when we give a tithe. We return his tithes. We are just stewards. That's what renewal is all about. When we're renewed in our spirit, all of a sudden, we can't give enough. Because you know why? You can't outgive God. The spirit of renewal. Most of us carry one of three attitudes. What's mine is mine, and I'll keep it. But yours is mine, and I'll try to get it. Or what's mine is his, and I'll share it. When we're renewed in our spirit, you know what we're reminded of? That we own nothing. He's just left us as managers and stewards to do the best we can for his kingdom. The money you have, money I have, is money that he's given us to see that his word, his word, his world, and his work are completed. It's a spirit of renewal. 
The third, and I'll try to move a little quicker on these, the third one is the spirit of praise and worship. The spirit of praise and worship. I love reading verses like 25 to 30 in this. It reminds me of when Solomon dedicated the temple. I mean, can you imagine? At the dedication of the Solomon's temple, they had 200 trumpeters. They had a choir. They had all the instruments of David, and they all played at one time. And I'm going to just say this to you, because I'm going to move very quickly through this. As a music director, I was privileged to direct a choir that had 100 singers in it. And when, when we did a special program, we would use our church orchestra, plus we would add two or three instruments. In all of my days, I never used more than three trumpets. One time I had four trumpets because I had a little guy from the uh, church that wanted to play. May I just tell you something? A good trumpet is wonderful, but there's nothing as bad as a bad trumpet. You know what I'm talking about, Teddy? Teddy can play his trumpet. Uh, you take my trumpet, that's a bad trumpet. You know what I'm talking about, Eddie? That good trumpet. Yes, sir. Here's what I'll tell you. You take three trumpets, and you can accompany 250 people. Can you imagine what it was like on that mountaintop when they were dedicating that temple and everybody was singing at the top of their lungs? All the instruments of David were playing, and there were 200 trumpets and all the choirs. Here's what I want to say to you folks. When I talk about praise and worship, I'm not talking about whether we're doing a contemporary or a gospel or a traditional song. I'm not talking about style at all. These folks were not worried about style. What they were worried about was giving their praise and their worship to the one who deserves to be worshipped. You see, when we get truly renewed, we'll have less talk about music, Brother Johnny, and we'll have more talk about the Master. It'll not be what I know and what I like. Not be what I know, it'll be who I know. It'll not be what I like, it's about who is Lord. That's the spirit of renewal. And as electric as it is when people come together to praise and worship with their minds and hearts and hands raised to heavens and their knees bowed low. Here's what I will tell you. One of the things we need to understand, learn and understand, is there are sometimes we need to be standing on our feet with our heads, our eyes, our hands, our hearts raised toward heaven. And there are other times when we need to be bowed real low before Him in humility and in worship. It's not an either-or, it's a both-and issue, and it's all about Him, it's not about us. When we get renewed, all of a sudden we take off the trappings, and we come to focus on Him. The spirit of praise and worship move quickly. The fourth spirit that I see here is the spirit of thanksgiving, thankfulness. I love this. Verse 31, Hezekiah concluded, now you, are, now you are consecrated to the Lord. Come near and bring sacrifices and a thank offering to the temple. A thank offering. There is nothing more fun than to be around somebody who's thankful. If I were to ask this morning, who here is a thankful person? Don't raise your hand. Who here is a thankful person? Almost everybody would raise their hand. And you know what happened? Some of our Pharisees would look around and go, well, he ain't very thankful. He was thankful all he'd do. He'd quit that complaining, griping, and mully-grubbing. Nothing will suck the life out of you like being unthankful and ungracious and ungrateful. <laughs> you see, folks, 
You can try to fool people. You can try to hide it that you're unthankful, that you're ungrateful. But you know what? It shows like your newest dress. You see what's in your heart comes out your mouth. The Bible tells us that. We say, oh, you can't know what's in a person's heart. Well, sure you can. The Bible tells us you can. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Just watch somebody a little bit. Whatever's in their heart comes out through their life. And when we're renewed, you want some reasons to be thankful? Let me, just, let me give you a laundry list here. Not all exclusive, but just a couple things. You can be thankful for forgiveness of sin. You can be thankful for the offer of salvation. You can be thankful for the invitational grace of God on you. You can be thankful for the freedom that comes your way. You can be thankful for eternal life. You can be thankful for abundant life. Most of all, you can be thankful for Jesus. Because you see, it is only Jehovah God the Father whom we worship. Only that God, there is not another deity in all the belief systems in the world who took the first step. But when the fullness of time, when the time was right, God sent forth His Son, Jesus, into the world for you, to redeem you and me, that we could have eternal life. That could be dancing music. Be thankful. The last spirit is the spirit of awareness. When we get renewed, all of a sudden we're aware of what's going on around us. Now I find this in the last verse. Actually, I'm going to take one sentence from verse 35. So the service of the Lord's temple was established. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced over how God had prepared the people. Now, how did he prepare the people? He brought them to a repentant spirit. He brought them to give. And by the way, a pause here. Have you ever thought about it? You read in the Bible, and every time the people of the Bible get renewed, the first thing they do is give. First thing they do is bring an offering. And God loves a cheerful giver. And then it says, he prepared the people, giving, and they praised him. It always follows with praise and always follows with thanksgiving. And then it says, for it had come about suddenly. Every time I see that word suddenly in the Bible, I'm reminded of Acts chapter 2. When they were praying in the upper room and suddenly the Holy Spirit of God fell. You see, the, the greatest, I think it's the absolute most wonderful part of knowing Christ, the most wonderful part of being renewed is the awareness that wherever I go, the Holy Spirit's there with me. Now, listen, you don't want the Holy Spirit to go with you if you just want to do what you want to do, make the bad decisions that you want to make, and be done with it. But if you want a counselor that's from heaven himself, and when you start to make decisions, you want to be able to hear that little voice of advice and counsel in your ear, you want the Holy Spirit to go with you where you go. I use the word awareness because it's a very personal word to me. And I, and I illustrate it this way. Years ago, I didn't know what it meant to walk in the Spirit. I read books, talked to people that I trusted, 
went to seminars. And I could never get anybody to really, to really nail down what it meant to walk in the Spirit. The Bible tells us to walk in the Spirit, but it doesn't tell us what that sense is like. And though I use these terms very rarely, those of you who know me well know that I don't. I believe in this case the Lord revealed to me something I could get my hands on about walking in the Spirit. And it is this word right here. Awareness. Aware that everywhere I go, that He's there with me. Aware that every decision that I make, He's got an opinion. And generally, His opinion's a lot better than mine. Everything I do, He sees. Now, folks, if the Spirit of God has renewed your heart, you are every day walking right through these things. And every day, you're aware of His Spirit. When I think about the Spirit of giving, can I just end it like this? You know, the process with the Father is about giving. You see, He gave His Son for us. What He expects us is for us to give our lives and our hearts to Him. And when we give our lives and our hearts to Him, then He gives to us abundant life here and eternal life on the other side. And when He gives us that, we give Him this, all of our lives that He has entrusted us with so that, once again, He'll just pour on blessing. And it doesn't matter what we do, what comes down from heaven is more than we can imagine. I ask you today, have you been renewed? Have you been renewed in His Spirit? He stands ready to renew your heart today. Are you ready to repent? That's where it begins.